Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Roderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing American Vandal Season 1. Were you ever a vandal as a teen? Did you ever do anything rebellious or scandalous or, well, not scandalous, I like did, vandalous? but I didn't leave a mark. That's, <laughs> that's how the smart kids do it. I remember once in high school, <laughs> oh, yes. I... Lit a bin on fire And I was like a super nerd in high school So like when the teacher came around They immediately just went Did you see who did this? And I was like No I didn't And then they walked off Wow So you know Being a nerd in high school It actually pays off You can do whatever the fuck you want When you say high school What year are we talking? Is this Year 9 Oh so before I knew when I was in Queensland Yeah Damask origin years Before (laughs) Before she became This is the prequel The prequel series Exactly What about you? Were you a vandal? I don't know. I'm trying to think. I definitely probably like wrote on desks or something like that. I wrote on my pencil case. Does that count? <laughs> Not really. No. If you own it, <laughs> no, Brod, you're just decorating your pencil case. <laughs> I was a massive nerd as well. Uh, no, I don't think so. Mm. I feel a little bit ashamed about See, that. See, about now. year nine, I started rebelling. I got super high in the woods once. So <laughs> super high. Super high in the woods. I had about 15 cones and just... Went nuts. It was a good time. Wow. That was during history class. (laughs) I was a massive nerd. People used to like go and leave school early, ditch classes. I did that in year 12, but not Mm. like year... Yeah, I don't know. I was You know, I ditched class in... See, it all happened around year nine. I just ditched class because I took like French, but like I had stopped studying French for about three years and then jumped back in year nine. Had no idea what was going on. This is when my anxiety also started playing up. So I was like, oh, instead of attending, I'm just going to go to the beach for a few hours. And that's what I did. It was pretty sweet. I actually do remember what I did do. Mm. Our thing was, so I was school captain in year 10 because our school only went to year 10. And Mm. I was also one of the leads in the school musical, the production. Of course you were. Yes, because of course I was. But (laughs) what we used to do is Mm. either have captain's meetings. So Mm. me and the other three captain and vice captains would just have, I would have a meeting. Sorry, can't come to class and go and have a meet and just do whatever the fuck we want. Like it was a meaningless thing. It was a. Yep. It was basically just a. Do you just make out with each other or? I no. <laughs> they were pretty cute. The other. The other. Yeah, missed opportunity, things. bro. Yeah, missed opportunity. Come on, Th- man. There was a lot of dirty talk before I was ready for it. Whoa! I found out what a rainbow kiss was uh, doing that, which will not be repeated on the podcast. 
<laughs> even with explicit rating. Google it, kids. Yeah. No, don't. Don't Google it. And uh, Talk to your parents about what a rainbow kiss is. <laughs> that came up in a captain's meeting. And mm. the other thing we used to do was the leads in the in the the production would say, oh, we've got to, like, production's coming up, we've got to rehearse, we've got to rehearse. And we'd just go off to the drama room and fuck around. It was the best. Mm. You wouldn't fuck, but you'd fuck around. <laughs> you'd fuck around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I really feel like I wasted my teen years. We were hyper virgins. (laughs) (laughs) See, I claimed Christianity is my excuse. It wasn't. That wasn't the case. One, I was super gay and very lonely. But I was like, no, I believe in God. I mustn't. Mm." Good excuse, that one. That goes a long way. (laughs) All right. Uh, On that note, let's get into Off Topic Hot Topic. Off Topic Hot Topic. Uh, That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingseasonscast. First up, news in fuller. Uh, no real news, however, Ooh. in doing my weekly Brian Fuller Google search, which mm-hmm. is how I get the news every week because, <laughs> you know, that's how it works. I, that's how the world works. You just Google whatever you need. And yeah. I mean, that's how the thing is most blogs that report news that I look at are just getting their stories from Variety or Deadline or something that's like that. That's my anyway. entire job is I just Google <laughs> other news articles and then kind of repeat it through a thesaurus. That's how that's this it. works. That's how this podcast works too. Anyway, <laughs> I found an interesting thing. I just wanted to put this out in the world because I thought this was fantastic. There is a comic, an online comic, releases twice a week mm-hmm. called Mind Palace Comic. You can find this at www.mindpalacecomic.com. It's created by David Dwanch and Santiago Gwillen, I believe, G-U-I-L-L-E-N. And it is a comic that is all about basically putting the characters and the worlds of Brian Fuller's TV shows into one shared universe. So I've sort of just perused the first couple of chapters mm. and it's very it's it starts focused on the Hannibal side of things. Right. But then early on, um we get to introduce to the Dead Like Me characters. Oh no. I was like, oh wow, you they're lost going me. they're going everywhere with this. So if you're a big Brian Fuller fan, I would highly mm. recommend checking out Mind Palace Comic at mm. Mind Palace Comic. If you're a Dead Like Me fan <laughs> Look Why? at it and then also <laughs> stop listening to the podcast because I don't want you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Whoa. I'm joking. I'm joking. We should never have delved into your teen history. It's <laughs> put you in a bad place. I'm in place. a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, some headlines from the week. Mm. A bit of a slow news week, but a few oh, things yeah. are worth mentioning. Uh, Orange the New Black Season 7 will be its last, uh, which is exactly as we expected. About time. <laughs> Please end it. It's already dead. It's- Please. It wasn't. I didn't think the last season was that bad, but I no, do think it, it needs fine. to. It needs it to fine. end. Uh, it needs. To I come feel to- like I've been watching it for. Have I been watching it for a decade? No, not that long. But I mean, it feels like that. I've been watching it for a year and a half, and it's a lot. It's a lot it's of television. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. So happy to see that coming to end in 2019. Hopefully, it ends on a solid note. Yes. Um, Netflix knocks out Marvel's Iron Fist. No season three <laughs> for martial arts series. This, Shocking news. This story comes from da- Dominic Patton mm. at Deadline. 17 seasons and a movie, please. Thank you. <laughs> so that's done. Um, there's some speculation in the article about why that might have happened. Um, apart from it. Not, Being shit. Yeah. <laughs> the 
the apparently the second season is better than the first, which is not a high bar. But is that because Luke Cage is in it? In the, I, I thought it was the other way around. I thought Iron Fist and Luke. I've watched Luke. Oh, Cage I season, don't. I don't even know. I've two, given so up know. on both of those. But Daredevil's about to come out this new season. Jessica Jones is a, has hers next year. Mm. I think they're expecting Luke Cage to get a reprise. So Iron Fist being cut short is be interesting. However, there's a lot of talk about the fact that the, the Disney streaming service starts next year. Yeah. And something we haven't talked about actually is that. Disney are launching, have been rumoured to be launching series based around Loki and Scarlet Witch from the MCU, including Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen reprising their roles. I'm into that 100%. And possibly having like cameos and featured appearance from other characters within the MCU. Oh my goodness. So it's sort of that thing of like, maybe we should start like wrapping up the stuff on Netflix Mm -hmm. and... So we can build and put all that audience into this new yes. Marvel universe <gasps> and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so you're excited by that? That idea? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I really am. Oh well, they've already got my subscription. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that sounds dope. Plus that Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, we talked about last week that's coming. Right. And- oh, that's gonna be it. Oh, I'm very excited. Are it you was- excited? I- How do you feel about it? I I am excited by it. I. I'm interested to see what a Scarlet Witch and, and Loki series look like. Mm. Um, like, spoiler alert for Marvel currently where it's at. Loki's... I know Loki comes back all the time, but Loki is, like, dead right now. So, like, what does that Loki series look like? Is it a prequel series? Is it about him as a young Loki? Is it, like, when is it set? Well, that's the thing. We have no time constraints, do we? No. Yeah, but also, like, I'm such a huge fan of Elizabeth Olsen that, like, I'll watch anything she does. So. Yeah. I'm in. At, I'm very in. At first, it seemed weird to me as well. Like, why would Elizabeth Olsen and Tom Hiddleston be doing TV shows? But then freaking Emma Meryl Stone. Streep Meryl Streep. Is doing Big Little Lies season two. Yeah. So Everyone's doing TV yeah. now. There's no com- restrictions There's no there boundaries. At all. I'm yeah. sure Tom Hiddleston has done TV before as well. Elizabeth Olsen probably somewhere online. I'm sure Tom Hiddleston is in Doctor Who somewhere. Maybe. Aren't they all? <laughs> Every British actor ever, yeah. multiple times sometimes. Uh, They've speaking- all played the Doctor once, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Speaking <laughs> of Doctor Who, mm. uh, a Dracula series from Sher- the Sherlock team um, to launch on BBC and Netflix. Now, we did know about I'm sorry, this. what's that got to do with Doctor Who? Well, Just the British factor? It's No, no from oh. uh, the Sherlock team also includes Stephen Moffat oh, and Mark yes. Gatiss, who have both... Uh, well, Stephen Moffat was the previous showrunner. Mark Gatiss has written mm-hmm. episodes and featured in episodes. Um, so, the same collaborative team. Right. Uh, but we knew this was coming. There was after Stephen Moffat left Doctor Who... The, oh, and Sherlock's last season was sort of a bit of a whatever season. Mm. There was there was talk that they were going to move on to do Dracula, but what we didn't know is that it was going to be distributed worldwide via Netflix. That's new information. Ooh. And also they're going to take on a similar format to what Seasons of Sherlock did where there were sort of three 90-minute episodes a season. Apparently that's what this is going to be about. Um, I think the rumour is that this is going to be a Transylvanian Dracula who has like travelled to London, I think, mm-hmm. is the is the rumour. I don't think there's any In a real... box of dirt, the I... classic way? Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sets his sights on Victorian London, as, as I put it okay. here. Okay, um, I'd be down for that, I think. Yeah, you're interested in that. Are you interested in that from... The Sherlock team, Mark Gatiss and... I'll be honest. Okay. Full disclosure. I've only watched the first season of Sherlock. Oh, yeah. Because I watched it with my first love. Uh She made me watch it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. She destroyed me as a person. I've never been able to go back. (laughs) So, if they've got a new show, 
I I would like to uh, indulge in that. Absolutely. Do you have any interest in going back to Sherlock ever? Like the the other seasons? Eventually, the thought of it makes me feel sick. Okay. Though. Okay. But we'll, I'll get there eventually. We'll leave that one off the docket. Yeah. So before anyone out there breaks anyone's heart, just remember uh, that this was about seven years ago. So just. Uh, you know, love's hard, guys. <laughs> love's hard. Uh, just for anyone who's interested in reading up on this story as well, this uh, where I got this information from was Stuart Clark at Variety. There will be links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Damask, what have you brought to Off Topic Hot Topic this week? Well, I started this week and completed the first season of The Bisexual, which is available on Stan in Australia. The Bisexual. <clears throat> the Bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, also available on Hulu in America. I'm not sure about the UK. I don't know. Use Google. Guys, come on. Um, which I really enjoyed, and I had a very interesting experience watching it as a uh, I don't identify as a gay woman. Um, and I, yeah, it was a really interesting experience, fabulous show, beautifully written, fantastically performed. I've actually asked Broad so that we can review it in the future. So, guys. Catch up now because we will be watching it in the future. It is fantastic. If you loved things like Fleabag, you will like this show. So, please watch that. So, that's what I've been doing this week. I have also watched the first episode of Riverdale Season 3. And? (laughs) Um, Look, I spent much of it on my phone. I'll be honest with you. I was just kind of waiting for Cheryl to pop up. And when she did, oh, Oh, Cheryl, Cheryl, Cheryl. Um, whoever does her costumes should, be, you know, get a standing ovation <laughs> because they are, look, it's, you know, it's pure objectification, which I don't agree with, um, but also I really enjoyed it. Um, it was very much made me go humada, humada every time she came on screen. It was fabulous. Uh, but I was honestly pretty bored oh. by it. I was kind of waiting for Cheryl and... When she was on, it was okay. And then when she was with her lover, um, they were about a meter apart because you're not allowed to touch, uh. I guess, if you're queer. Yeah, it was pretty subpar. Until the very end, I was like, ooh, this makes me interested in not this show, but Sabrina. So I'm, There was already me, track laid for Sabrina in this. Yep. I believe so. I haven't watched the explanation of what I saw in that last moment of the first episode, but I believe so, yes. Oh, okay. Um, Just on that, mm. you tweeted out a tweet about the f- about Riverdale. <laughs> Do you want me to read the yeah, tweet? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my tweet was, Riverdale is not only off the rails, all of its carriages are on fire and the driver is smoking bath salts. See, that makes it sound like it was <laughs> quite interesting, if at least not entertaining because it was going batshit insane. No, but- it's just like it is insane. And it's, it just makes me, the entire time, I just like have a chuckle as though it reminds me of the times when in, you know, early high school, when you would be asked to like write a scene or write a production (laughs) in which is just like, it's all about like, oh man, like that girl took ecstasy and now she's dead or, oh my goodness, like she had sex and now she's got AIDS. It's like a PSA. Yeah, it's it's like, oh my God, like he's really bad. He's in a gang. But it's like, (laughs) it's no real like substance Uh or like anything to do with real life. So it's kind of like this melodrama of teenagedom, which is great, which is like a good time for a bit of a giggle. Or if you're actually in that age group, you're like, yeah, man, that's what it's like. But as an adult watching it, you're like, 
I don't know if this is actually entertaining anymore because it's just like the characters, they stopped caring about the characters and more they're more interested in the circumstances around them, mm-hmm. which I think is a shame, um, which I think the first season, like, and I know you didn't really like the first season, no, not really. but the first season was more character focus. So think of that less. Because that was the only thing that kept me going. Was yeah. There's a couple of characters I've attached myself to. And if that's not there, oh boy. I've got yeah. nothing to go it's, back for. Yeah. So that it's, being it's said, harsh. did you see the photos getting around on the internet the last couple of days from the upcoming episode mm. where mm. they mm. are playing in a flashback, they are the current sort of Archie gang mm. are playing the Incarnations, young, yeah. Yeah. Are playing the younger versions of their parents when they were at high school. So, oh. so, does that interest me? Well, I would check out the photos mm. because a, I know you're into a Cheryl look, and Cheryl's playing her mom, and you should see what she's like in, right? Mm. But I personally, I'm a fan of Betty, <laughs> and I like Betty's look a lot. That was mm. pretty good. So well, I checked Betty's that out. Betty's mom, I find very sexually attractive. Well, think about <laughs> who she played in um, Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks, yeah, and then imagine that outfit on Betty. And I'm okay. Then up. yes, I'm very interested. Thumbs up. I'll, <laughs> or maybe I'll tag you in a tweet and you. you Please can do. Yourself. No, I mean I'll, I will continue to watch it because I love teen melodramas. Like that's my jam. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I th- yeah. It's just let me know when that episode comes out. So I can shame. I just I just want out. like more Cheryl. And if you're gonna like take advantage of how beautiful that actress is mm. and how interesting a queer relationship is like let's actually go there yeah. you know what i mean yeah it's always a little disappointing when you just get like a little bit of that stuff you should do like a thesis on this or a video essay or something not a thesis because who the fuck's got the time but i'll write like an 800 word blog sure. yes please yeah <laughs> uh anything else um what else oh yes i watched the first episode of haunting of hill house mm-hmm um, look, I think it's going to be really good and people have been raving about this. So, I'm very excited to I continue. I today. Tell me, like, are yeah, you watching yeah. this mm. show yet? I'm, I'm very interested in going further because I think it will be really, really good. Um, but I was, in the first episode, I was certainly distracted by the dialogue and I did tweet about this as well. Um, which for me was, it was pretty stinky. Right. Pretty stinky dialogue. And maybe that's the tone. Maybe it's meant to sound like, I don't know, the words of a 14 year old that's just discovered Tennessee Williams. Not sure. (laughs) And I'm speaking from personal experience. That's not a judgment. Like sometimes you... read something like oh i just want like that's like that's my vibe like that's Uh just who i am and you kind of reiterate it and it's just subpar who knows um but maybe if i binge it and i'm like fully immersed in the world i'll be like oh this is actually like this is the tone this is what it's meant to be you know i I was just talking about melodrama with that riverdale show maybe that's what it is but while i was watching it it made me go this dialogue is rough right it's really rough um and soap opera kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um but it is scary it's certainly moody and i think it's going to get really good so i'm definitely going to continue on with it i'm not saying it's bad yep the dialogue just in certain scenes is yeah a bit sketchy and that's all out now on netflix i believe so yes yes and based on a book um my girlfriend has read mm, and yeah she's watching it too and stephen king said he's like he's not a big fan of you know reiterations of books and stuff, but he thinks this is 
great. But he sold the rights to all of his books to TVs and, and movies? And look what they did to them. <laughs> like, Good the point. man needs to make a living, but they usually, you know, shit all over them. Sure. Um, and then I've also, this is not TV or film news, this is podcast news. I have been listening to a Canadian podcast, which is called Uncover Escaping Nexium. And Nexium is spelled <gasps> N-X-I-V-M. It's by CBC. And it's about that cult. Um, a few of the Smallville actresses were involved yeah. in that. Um, it starts off as kind of a self, self-help thing. Um, but the deeper you get into it, the darker it gets. And it really focuses about one woman who was the focus of that new, I believe it was the new, it was either the New York Times or the New Yorker. Um, they did like an expose and yeah. she was like the basis of that. Um, and she is good friends with a journalist from the CBC and he's got a podcast where he interviews her and also interviews a bunch of other people. It's very interesting. It's only about seven episodes long. Short, succinct, which like I love true crime podcasts, but God, they go on sometimes and they just like go on and on about little tiny things that don't actually add up to anything and you just feel like they're wasting your time. This is not that podcast. Straight to the point, just seven episodes. It's fascinating. Um, The cult, like a lot of the ideals about the cult are super misogynistic, gender-based. Right. Um, I wish they'd gone into that a little bit more because that's quite dark and really fucked up that mm. led to the stuff that happened towards the end of, of um, this woman's this particular woman's journey being in this uh, female sect part of the of this cult or mm. this self-help group, um, which was all about, you know, women changing the world. They were all branded, oh, fucking like horrific, horrific stories of the branding. Um, that was like ultimately like it was put forward as self help empowerment for women. Really was a harem mm. for the guy who was running it. It's awful, but like a very fascinating podcast like it was so interesting so i definitely encourage people to listen to uncover escaping nexium by cbc great stuff in my world mm. as someone who works in healthcare nexium is a uh it's a, mm. like a stomach ulcer medication this oh. sounds <laughs> way more interesting than that yeah yeah so like i said nexium spelled n-x-i-v-m it's kind of hard to google yeah which maybe was their plan i don't know but it's it's a fascinating podcast Interesting. Uh, okay, I've just got one other thing to talk about qu- yes. quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, I went with my girlfriend to the cinema to see Bad Times at the El Royale. Are you familiar with Bad Times at the El Royale? I have watched that trailer a million times thanks to YouTube ads, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, for those who aren't familiar, Bad Times at the El Royale is a 2018 American neo-noir thriller film written, produced, and directed by Drew Goddard. The film stars Jeff Bridges, Cynthia Erivo, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm, Kaylee Spaney, Spaney, Lewis Pullman, <laughs> and Chris Hemsworth. Set in 1969, the plot follows two strangers. Sorry, so the plot follows six strangers who each are hiding dark secrets that come to a head one night in a shady hotel on the California Nevada border. So, this is written, directed, produced by Drew Goddard, and I'm a pretty big fan of Drew Goddard's work. He Mm. was a writer on Buffy, on Angel, and he was the writer of The Martian, um, which I think won Best Comedy and Musical, and or Musical (laughs) at the Emmys. Um, Hilarious. uh, Yeah, Yeah. which was funny. 
And then, especially for writing and directing Cabin in the Woods, which I freaking love that so movie. Good. He co-wrote that with Joss Whedon, but he is credited with directing it, and Joss was a producer on that one. Mm. That's important, because I'm going to get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. I got pretty excited when I saw the trailer for Bad Times for the first time back at the start of the year. I've been looking forward to this since then. It looked like an amazing film, and seeing Drew Goddard attached to it was very much into mm. it. Uh, there are some takes out there saying the film is too long. They're wrong. Two and a half, uh, two hours and twenty minutes is not too long for a movie. It's just too long for this movie. Mm. The pacing is off. <laughs> I'm already starting to sound a bit too dour on this. It is not a bad movie by any means. It's actually, mm-hmm. I just want to say this now. It's a good movie. It's got a lot of really cool redeeming features. Great performances from the actors. Some fantastic um, scenes or set pieces in How's there. How's my boyfriend, Chris? Uh, fantastic. Oh, oh Have you seen the trailer? Him. Ridiculous. Love him. Although he does have to put on an American accent, which I haven't seen him do a whole lot. Mm. And he's got the the structure of that. There, there are some flashbacks and there is the present. I swear his accent is different depending on what time period <laughs> it is. But that's all right. Uh, Don't say a bad word about it. Actually, him. I, I should say it. on Chris Hemsworth, this he had, and this might seem a little odd too, a bit of a... Um, Heath Ledger thing going on. Ooh. Just there was something about Huge his compliment. performance. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, these guys go to the same acting school sort of thing. What's the yeah. connection there? Yeah. I'm not sure whether he was just uh, maybe basing his performance on some of Heath's stuff. I'm not sure. But there's just a little bit of Heath in there that I actually quite enjoyed. Mm. Um, anyway. RIP indeed. Yeah. The pacing of this is off. I... <laughs> This is in line with what some people are saying, and I'm going to defend it. I think this thing <laughs> could have been cut into six 23-minute episodes and put on Netflix, Ooh. and it would have been better. Mm-hmm. The, this is, there was actually my thing my girlfriend Steph said as soon as we were finished. She's like, this would have been better as a television show. And I think that hits the nail on the head because mm-hmm. it's got a format that's similar to some of Tarantino stuff. Yeah. And that's not to say that Pulp Fiction would be better as a television show. I don't think that. But I don't think there's enough story mm-hmm. to f- and enough content to actually fill this 220-minute film. But if you cut it up into episodes and allowed it a bit more time to luxuriate and maybe focus on these characters individually a bit more, it would probably work just that bit better. Okay. And that's a very, very, like, hypothetical thing. I think, like, take that with a grain of salt. But... I don't know. What makes me wonder about Drew Goddard as a director, because this is his first time direct. So he's not, it's not his first time directing, but it's his first time as the sole writer, director, and producer. So he has a huge amount of creative control on this. Um, in the past, he's had Drew, uh, Joss Whedon there to oversee things. Or Whedon? Joss Whedon, thank you. Or he's had someone else directing in the case of The Martian. So this, I think, proves that maybe... He's not good at killing his babies mm-hmm. and that left to just to decide himself what should stay in. He kind of left too much than he should have. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the the ability to cut and trim where it needed to. And it just allowed it to bloat a little bit, which is a bit of a shame. And also, he's not necessarily that cinematic. And I say that again, knowing that there are some very, very awesome cinematic moments in this film. Some really long shots mm-hmm. or some interesting takes. But there are also lots of places in between that where I thought it was shot and edited in a really mechanical fashion. Just like really like by the numbers, cut to this, cut back to insert, cut back to the Like and considering that the film is called Bad Times at the El Royale and it does seem to have this really interesting 
place that sets this film. Mm. A, it does nothing with the premise that's set on a bi-state. It's a bi-state establishment, which I was like, why put it there if you don't have oh, something? Oh, I to- thought that was like the, the heart thing? of the thing. Absolutely not. The, oh. the most interesting thing about the fact that it's sitting on the state line is that mm. you can buy a drink on one side and you can't buy one on the other side. Oh. And that is honestly as important as that detail gets. That's so weird. Isn't it weird? Because it's in the marketing. It's in the title. Like, you've given it this interesting I quirk. thought there was going to be, like, this weird, like, thing with the law and you're on one side, the other. Oh. No. Oh, okay. No. And it's kind of like, and this is, I mean, how much should we pay attention to trailers? I, I think the trailer sets us up for something that's a bit more high energy, a bit more fun, mm. and that really puts emphasis on the idea, and even the title puts emphasis on the idea of this hotel being important it's just sort of a place where this i mean it is a place with its own secrets but the by step like the being on the state line is not important oh, whatsoever okay and kind yeah. of feels like a wasted opportunity because i was like i'm oh, kind of glad you told me that okay yeah, ma- yeah that might help you going into it yeah. so if anything i'm gonna say this go see the movie i mm. think it's worth watching go in with slightly lowered expectations because maybe you'll enjoy it a little bit more mm-hmm. okay i think i'll leave it at that but um yeah, bottom line, good, not great, sadly. And maybe, yeah, of all the things that Drew Goddard's done, it's lower on the list. Mm. That makes sense. Anyway, with that, let's get to our spoiler-free review of American Vandal Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. American Vandal is an American mockumentary television series created by Dan Penault and Tony Yacenda that parodies true crime documentaries such as Making a Murderer and Serial. Premiering on Netflix on September 15th, 2017, the show stars Tyler Alvarez, Griffin Gluck, and Jimmy Tatro as accused dick drawer Dylan Maxwell. American Vandal Season 1 consists of eight episodes, each coming in at around 33 minutes, and took us approximately four hours and 30 minutes to watch. This season was honoured with a Peabody Award on April 19th, 2018, and Netflix renewed the series for an eight-episode second season, which premiered on September 14th, 2018. Now, I had a leading question for this that you've already answered because you've talked about one of these just a bit earlier. Are you a fan of true crime documentaries, Damask? Yes, sir, I am. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Do you have any particular favourites? I mean, Making a Murderer blew my mind. Serial blew my mind. Um, I'm trying to... Let's think. I've listened to so many or watched so many recently. Oh, um, the one about the Central Park. Five? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, that's is it amazing. just called the Central Park Five? I I mean the Thin Blue Line kind of started it all for me. Um, yeah, it's something that I've consistently watched my entire life. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's one of those things where, like, every few months I'll go through a true crime mode and we're, like, you know, I'll be going through the documentary section of every streaming service I have and that's all I'll be doing. It's mostly true crime. Um, was it the, the 13th? 13? The one about the 13th Amendment or whatever it is about. Um, it's not so much true crime but about the justice system in America, right. how it's kind of, like, Monday slavery. Yep. That stuff is incredible to me. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I just love documentaries and this is just one of the streams of documentaries that I really, really enjoy. Sure. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, yeah, I really appreciate it and I appreciate what it does for the culture. I appreciate how it educates people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to see a parody of that is, you know, it's, it's pretty good because I can see how the documentaries that I have watched have influenced my belief system and the tools that they have used within the genre to make me feel a certain way. Like it's kind of interesting to kind of like critique yourself as an audience member. Uh, What about you? Uh, Yes, big fan of true crime stuff. I haven't watched as much as you. I've watched the obvious ones. I've I've listened to Serial. And by the way, Serial Season 3, I listened to an episode today, Mm. the latest one, and my blood was boiling by the (gasps) end of the episode. Oh, that's got me excited. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, this is not a mystery thing. This is not like Season 1, but I'm, I really like where they're going with what they're talking about this I don't need a mystery. I just need fascination. Yeah. Well. Fascination into something. Yeah. I'm finding quite engaging, enlightening, mm. and infuriating, actually. Um, the Jinx, I think, is one of the best oh, true crime God. docos ever. When he's burp confessing. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I kill them all. <laughs> They've got you. Spoilers so for good. the Jinx. Uh, well, if you haven't caught up, fuck you. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Mask is on a rampage day. I'll kill you. No. <laughs> uh, Making murder, obviously. I've watched most of the staircase, and eh, not so oh, great. Oh, the staircase is another good one. Yeah, Making mm. murder season two is about to come out. That have you seen the trailer for that? Looks pretty good. No, I haven't. Anyway, point being, I'm with you. Find them very, very interesting. Find them very educational, particularly mm-hmm. when we're talking about the justice system. Particularly mm. when we're talking about things like. Um, uh, be- was it beyond reasonable doubt. Particularly when we're talking about like your rights as. Uh, as a citizen, when mm-hmm. you are accused of these things, the if there's one thing I've learned from true crime documentaries, do not talk to the cops without a yeah. lawyer. Just lawyer up. Yeah. Don't say a goddamn word without I a lawyer. I think that's like what it's taught me most is like have a more objective view of the justice system. The fact that like it's not good versus evil. It's like they want to have a prosecution. That is their aim. That is their they goal. Want an and so while you might be like, oh, I'm a good person, nothing can touch me. That's actually not the case and you need to protect yourself at all fronts. Exactly. Mm. With all that in mind, what did you think of American Vandal Season 1? Do you want my spoiler-free review? Spoiler-free review. Yeah, yeah, here it comes. All right, so the silliness of this show is what hits you first. The premise is a solid joke. A couple of AV nerds try to solve a mystery in their school. It's certainly fun. Then the absolute love of true crime washes over you. You recognize the dramatic music, the close-ups that highlight the seemingly innocuous but catastrophically important aspects of the crime and the slow, soft blinking of the characters involved. It really is a love letter, one that is full of dick jokes. It is fantastic. But what is amazing is that along the way, you start to care. You become incensed at the injustice of what has taken place and you connect to the underdog of the story. You recognize that kid from your own experience in high school. I certainly did. The one that was kind of funny, but mostly just obnoxious and annoying. The kid that you all discount as being a burnout. It highlights the lack of options available to a person like that, how they fall between the cracks and how very few people would ever care about where his life ends. And then as a viewer, you pause and ask, why the hell am I tearing up over this parody? This show is warm 
and loving fun. But much like the true crime docs it is parodying, the show does begin to drag on just a little bit. The minutiae of the story of what or what the story focuses on can feel inconsequential, despite the narrator telling you how much you should probably care. It is hard to keep up the momentum of a true crime story when oftentimes the most fascinating details are revealed early in the piece. Overall, though, it's a fun outing for true crime nerds like myself and for those that enjoy a good dick joke. So I highly recommend. What about you, Brod? Okay. Uh, American Vandal Season 1 is a pitch-perfect spoof that does what all good satire does, make fun of its target while also adding to the discussion. Mm-hmm. From a production standpoint, it does everything right. The cinematography, the soundtrack, the opening titles, the on-screen graphics, the writing, the casting, the performances, the methodology, everything is to the highest standard. If you were to walk past a TV while this was on and not know this was a mockumentary, you would absolutely be forgiven for thinking this is a real crime TV show. Thematically, it all just is just as slick. The show charms its audience before it starts to hit you with the bigger questions. To mention any of that stuff now would be to spoil the ride, but know that this is about much more than who drew the dicks. I honestly, this is a weird thing to say, have zero criticisms of American Vandal. <laughs> it knows what it wants to do. It sets out to do it, and then it hits its mark with extreme precision. This is... As close to a perfect season of television as I've ever watched, the only question is whether this is something that interests you or not, and that probably has a lot to do with whether you care about true crime documentaries mm. or not. But it should, so go watch it. How, wow. how would you rate this season out I of I think five? I know what you're going to give it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 4.5. A high 4.5, but a 4.5. I'm going to give it five because I... I I don't know. It may not be my favourite season of television ever. Mm. There are seasons of television I'm likely to go back and watch more of. But uh, this is a boring thing to say. On a show that's meant to be discussing, like, the good and the bad of the show. But Mm. I I don't know what its weaknesses are. I find it interesting that you thought it dragged. Maybe watching it a couple episodes a night with my girlfriend, the same way they did Maniac, actually, interestingly. Mm. And I got to the end of that second episode and... We had to stop there and just like, I just want to watch the next one. I just want to watch the next yeah. one. No, I, I I had that experience as well. It was towards the end where I was like, for me, because it was so pitch perfect throughout, mm. There, towards the end, there were moments that were self-indulgent for the point of narrative that actually went against how true crime docos actually go that made me go, oh. I feel like you you've dropped it a little bit there, but so that's uh, it's moments like that that made me go, you can't be a five. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm interested to hear what that is when we get into our spoiler discussion. But before we dive into that, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But before we move on, we would definitely highly recommend watching American Vandal Season 1. Absolutely. Go watch the show, come back, and then listen to us talk spoilers. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of American Vandal. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of American Vandal up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story time with Damask. A heinous crime has taken place. On March 15, 2016, 27 faculty cars are changed forever, as are the lives of everyone at Hanover High School. Two young filmmakers, Peter and Sam, take out their cameras and begin filming those affected with the hope of revealing the true culprit. The young man charged with the crime, Dylan, is adamant that he is innocent. So, who did it? Hanover High is a dark and twisted place full of secrets, betrayals, and hand jobs. On the day of the crime, Dylan and the Wayback Boys were pranking their neighbor. But at the exact time of the terrorist attack, Dylan is nowhere to be seen. His friends claim he was taking a shit at a nearby store, while his girlfriend Mackenzie claims they were canoodling. This lack in a consistent alibi paired with the testimony from Mrs. Shapiro, claiming it was a direct attack on her, sends Dylan off campus with no hope of graduating. Sam and Peter uncover video footage from the notorious Nan's party that the one witness, Trimboli, was a liar. Not only that, there is evidence that his famous encounter with Sarah Pearson was a further fabrication. Such an unreliable source surely can't be trusted to testify. It is also revealed that another strike just days before struck Coach Rafferty's office. He had been dating a student's mother, and this person didn't take Rafferty giving it to their mom lightly. Could it be the same culprit as the dick bandit? After analyzing the Facebooks of the hottest moms at Hanover, Sam and Peter come to the conclusion that it was Mackenzie that attacked the coach's office. So was it her that also drew the dicks out of anger? Nope. She was busy getting naked on Twitch. This is heartbreaking news for Dylan, but the footage of the broadcast, which captures him arriving at Mackenzie's at the time of the attack, exonerates him. He returns to school triumphant. There is another party to celebrate him and the sensation that is American Vandal. But Christy, the school president, shows herself to not know CPR. Things suddenly become clearer. Her relationship with Rafferty was infamously hostile. Her alibi is now called into question. Was it her? Draw your own conclusions, folks. Or... Draw your own dicks. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. 
to get started, I just want to go back to your comment earlier saying that it got self-indulgent and that mm. it sort of went against its own true crime nature. What were you talking about there specifically? Um, specifically, it was talking towards the very end of the season when we have the kind of triumphant party, I guess, the cel- the end of year celebration when all the kids are hanging out, Dylan's watching American Vandal, which I, I thought was quite good. It was just moments like when, is it? I believe Sam, Sam yep. is talking to his crush, Gabby, is it yep. something like that? Correct. Yep. Um, and they just happen to capture the moment where they make up. It made me go, makes me feel like I'm watching an unreal show. But didn't that didn't the nature of how that was cap like captured make it forgivable? Because if it was done with like mm. Peter recording or something like that, I'd be with it. But the idea that he's just mic'd up. And that they actually, the footage they use to begin with is not of them at all. It's just of where the computer, sorry, the the camera sitting on the Mm. table. And then the only footage they have is like in the, just like they've done to analyze everything else. Yeah. In the background of like a Snapchat or something like that. I kind of, I like, I like the way that was Yeah, no, I I get it. I I also, I was just like, why is he specifically mic'd up? Why don't they just have a boom mic in that moment? And also, like, it just, it just felt, um, like a nice way to tie it all up. It's the same thing when we find out Krista doesn't know CPR, which made me go, it's okay for true crime things not to have a complete ending because that's just the nature of sure. what they are. So to, to kind of like tie everything up so everyone feels okay by the end of it felt untrue to the genre that they were parading. Yeah, I think that's the luxury of it being, of it being. Fictional though is yeah, what they can totally. give you that. It just felt it's, something to satisfy you. I completely agree. It, yeah. For me though, because I was like so in it, and I was like, God, it's pitch perfect yeah. all the way through. For that to be at the end, well, I understand why they would do that. It for me, it it kind of cheapened it a little bit. Um. So, what were your big takeaways from this season of American Vandal? I mean, my big takeaways were how easily manipulated I am by, you know, sound design, editing, you know, simple, um, a font will will get me, a a timestamp will get me, Uh Um, a simple uh, recreation will absolutely fascinate me to the nth degree. It just really made me analyse how I view true crime and how it, you know, is a function, you know, a function of many things to put a point across as much as any other genre is. And maybe go, huh, that's, that's something maybe to look at a little bit closer. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things that was developing as the show went on mm. was just the analysis of the genre of yeah, totally of true crime as it went on. And particularly because it felt like the more I watched, the more this was serial and making a murderer specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very um, much so. And so specifically how it looked at those and how they are problematic in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I liked, I think it's episode four, when the boys start to, Sam and Peter, start to sort of, I think they're looking at the different fan theories or they're looking mm, at their different theories and then they yeah. start to apply like, well, oh no, so it's not the f- different th- fan theories. It's the um, the morning show nine or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they do it to themselves. Yeah, and they, yeah. they do it to themselves. And then uh, Sam does the one about Peter and it's mm. kind of a joke because yeah. Peter doesn't really have any mm. real motive. And then 
Peter uh, does his version of Sam and it's this mm. ridiculous, like, I mean, it's it's interesting because he does give the best version of compelling case. He's right to, if he's going to do this properly, yeah. let's apply this logic to the nth about the, the idea of objectivity yeah. within true crime, yeah. But then there were two things that came up. A, and this went on as the series went on further, what the value is in airing mm. so many people who are likely to be uninvolved, yeah. their dirty laundry, essentially. Like, to do that, what that feels like to have your mm. secrets or, you know, your personal life... Um, exposed and presented in a documentary. Yeah. And then also, and I think Sam said this really well, and it made me really think about Serial specifically, mm. how that logic wasn't being applied back onto the original yes. person. So the thing that I came away was thinking of, if you've, I don't, Serial is old enough now, I'm going to spoil it. Because if you're watching this show, hopefully you've listened to Serial and you should. Mm. Um, the way they taught, the way they analyze Adnan, and especially the mm. way they analyze Examine Jay mm. had me thinking for the longest time early on that Jay was this is the guy, right? This is this has got to be the guy that's actually done it. And then the more that and then afterwards when Serial was over, actually looking over things through my own lens and seeing more information out there, going, Oh no, Jay has been turned into a freaking scapegoat here essentially yeah. because they were applying a logic to Jay that was more intense than they were applying to Adnan. And I thought that was pretty spot on and really enlightening. Yeah, I think like the, the one thing that this show does is it really displays how objectivity simply isn't possible mm. when like um but that's how so many true crime shows, documentaries, films are kind of put forward is it like oh we're having an objective view of like this thing that has happened and that's it's simply not possible. We as people each have our own very specific perspectives out of like the lives we have lived, the things we've experienced, the way that we interact with people. It is impossible to have a completely objective piece of art, yeah. which is what a documentary is. It's just another form of art. Um, and so <laughs> to have, and I think this show does it brilliantly, is when we, we have Peter who's so adamant about being objective and we see that when even yeah. when he you know throws his best friend under the bus he's like no no no, i'm being objective this is what we're all about but then when we analyze it closer we see the relationship that he has built with dylan and those yes the, and his crew and how much he appreciates being a part of that and how so how softened he is by his interactions with them and yeah. his and therefore his perspective of them or his ideas of them like like it really made me go it is it is genuinely impossible to have an objective view I'll create an objective documentary I I want to reiterate how much I love Serial and Sarah Koenig as a uh, as a reporter mm. a journalist a Serial's incredible but yeah. her relationship with Adnan with Adnan yeah. is very similar there's mm -hmm. this Fascination. She talks about it in the podcast that she's sort of taken by yeah. him in a lot of different ways and charmed by him. Fascinated by his story. And, mm. and by him as a person, as an individual, mm. and how that feels like it affects the way she tells this story. Mm. And um, that's real. And I, like, I love the moments in American Vandal where, like, uh, Peter feels betrayed because he thinks that. Um, 
that Dylan has lied to him. It's mm. like, you lied to me, you've been, you know, having me the whole time. And then um, all those elements were really fascinating and brought a lot of great stuff to light. So, it was, yeah, I love just this show was able to be both a celebration of this and also a critique Absolutely. of the genre at the same time. Yeah. And then the other thing as well was as the show evolves and the show gets popular and then fans start getting involved, invested, and other the people involved in the show start to get affected by this as mm. well, including the teachers and the school mm-hmm. and the suspects and so forth. Um, obviously, uh, Dylan's girlfriend... Mackenzie. Mackenzie mm. has to sort of reveal something pretty, you know, that she wants to keep secret to yeah. herself. And well, she doesn't have to. She is forced to. And she's forced she to. She has no... She doesn't even consent for that to happen no. at all, which is fucking terrible. Nor does Sarah Pearson give consent yeah. for her sexual conduct to come to light yeah. but that's what the boys decide is you know the objective thing to do which is such yeah which is glaring yeah when you think about how objective they are not being in which, regards to Dylan which again makes me think about serial in particular mm-hmm. and I'll continue to go back to serial because it's the one I've inspected the most but how um the victim in serial mm. her family did not participate in the show yeah and had no interest in doing it and how that seemed as someone who was listening like oh you know that's the perspective you'd want to hear they just didn't want to be fucking involved in this because yeah. it's such a They've dangerous lost thing a person they love yeah Why would they uh, but then also made me think of the way that Jay from Serial has been treated by people who are fans of the show. People truly believe that he is the real murderer or he's hiding something mm. or that he is, you know, thrown under, under the bus. And he has been affected by that in real life. Mm-hmm. Like, they, there have been effects for him. And even Stephen Avery in um, in Making a Murderer, he... whether I think most people probably do think that he is likely to be innocent. He's in jail anyway. So, you know, if you think he's guilty, he's already getting the punishment. But... He has a like the way they talk about Dylan, how Dylan was too dumb to have done mm. it. Like, there's just the way that his character and he as a person is thrown into question. It's not about the crime necessarily, it's an analysis of him as a human being, yeah. as a burnout, as all these things, as someone who's not going to graduate and stuff like that. And they just sit there and sort of pull him and he, his life apart for the sake of entertainment as well, which is what happened to Stephen Avery. Like, there's so many mm. questions about his. Well, it's like, it's, it's really, it's. A fascinating balance between you try to create nuance in showing um, more depth about people who are just seen as either bad or good, but in doing so, people bring their own perceptions or understandings of the world onto it and decide in their own minds whether someone is good or bad. Like very few times people will watch, you know, what an artist is putting out there of like what they consider a nuanced perspective and the interpretation will be a nuanced interpretation. It will be like, oh, either you're good or you're bad. Like that is just how many of us function. That's how we categorize things. Just what I wanted to ask was, did this make you reconsider or reflect on how you consume true crime as someone who's a fan? Mm. Has it changed anything about how you're going to... Yeah, I mean, and I, I've even experienced that with Making a Murderer. I'm, I remember yeah. the first time I consumed that and I was fully um, following the narrative that I was being mm-hmm. fed. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then obviously I did more reading and I understood, 
understood more things about the case and the you know how complicated it was and how in depth the you know the prosecution was against Stephen Avery mm-hmm. um and that it wasn't quite so clean cut um and so that made me rethink and while I think making a murderer is a fantastic docu-series I also understand that it is coming from a certain perspective a certain viewpoint and that it definitely has its faults Mm -hmm. absolutely um and I think it's you know you really need to look at it with a critical eye um but this this show just kind of cements that fact that when you're watching things like this that feel like almost an educational program Mm. you need to understand that that's not actually their purpose well they want to put a certain issue out there you need to understand they're putting an issue out there coming from a very particular perspective yeah and you need to if you're fascinated by it fantastic but you do need to do your own research and that kind of just kind of like this show reiterates that point totally Mm. yeah uh listening to serials current season has, has been a lot like that. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I think it's mm. in putting some light on some really interesting things. But you do start to notice the bits where they represent a quote rather than play the actual audio yeah. or how they use their music cues specifically. Mm-hmm. There's a real formula to how they do things. And that's true of like This American Life and stuff as well. But yeah. but this, the, the serial does it to a real nth degree. It's got a real rhythm and a real like structure to it that mm-hmm. when you... I think it's important to recognize it and enjoy it and take it, you know, understand what it's saying and don't dismiss that either. But make sure that, you know, look at what's being presented to you, how it's being presented to you and start to go, well, what are the gaps here? What am I missing? What are we what are we skipping over or are we taking shortcuts at? And how how is the way this is being presented potentially manipulating me or manipulating it's mm. the people that are being represented in it? Um, yeah, it's it was yeah, it's it's great. I love a love letter that can also be an analysis. I think this is a mm. really, really great version of that. And it's um I think I'm gonna appreciate this stuff just as much, but in a different way now after watching American yeah, Candle. Absolutely. It's it's nice to point out um the ways in which you're manipulated by media. I think like yeah. media studies should be a prerequisite for kids, even in primary school, like you need to, because un- it's such a huge part of our lives now, you need to understand the tools that are in place to make you feel or think certain things. Yeah. Um, it's it's so vital in consuming media and we're consuming it almost 24-7 these days. And little, like, little things like this are like a step towards people kind of Having a grasp of like how how they're being manipulated. Here's the thing that and I, not even in a nefarious way, but just, that's just like the that's how art works. He, here's the thing that I've started doing, mm. trying to do more often, not always succeeding, but trying mm. to do. For instance, is on Twitter. It can be really easy to see something that fits with your worldview, that fits mm. with your message, that angles yeah. whatever, and go like, retweet, and spread that message. Yeah. But what I'm trying to do more and more. Um, is A, not do that immediately if it's coming out quickly. Yeah. But B, late, at, at some point, if not immediately, but it's, uh, before I retweet or like it, look at what the comments underneath are because sometimes even a message that seems true to you and likely and believable and, and right mm. can be a misrepresentation. And there was some, mm-hmm. one of those recently where um, Trump made a comment about saying that some... Confederate general was a great general, whatever. And like that is 
on its value, this guy was a, you know, slave trader or slave owner, all these sorts of things, right? Mm. But when you put the comment in context, it was leading up to him saying something else. He was using him as an example of, but this thing, was, this person was better. And that's not to say that saying this guy was great, but let's not pretend he was going out there to celebrate this Confederate yeah. general as well. And that's what mm-hmm. the narrative around it was. So you got to understand yeah. that even the media that you think is doing, is there for doing the world good, mm-hmm. is still using these tricks against its readers or the people that are yeah. consuming as well and to yeah. always analyse stuff like that and I try think to get like caught in the trap. I think there are certain media outlets that don't do this and I commend them highly and I think, you know, if you live in Australia, I think you should subscribe to the Saturday paper because mm-hmm. they're completely independent and fabulous. Um, but otherwise, I think like you need to understand that even left-wing media and mm-hmm. Rod and I are both very left-wing. Absolutely. That's, that is absolutely our politics. And if you've been listening to the show at with, all, you yeah. know that by <laughs> you now. You know that. You should know that. Um, but you also need to understand that there are lef- left-wing media outlets out there that are, you know, using nefarious tactics or untrue tactics or I think immoral tactics yep. to put across an agenda. And I, I don't think that's the way to tackle the problem. I think the problem comes from misinformation and I don't think furthering that is helpful to anyone. I think education is the key to a healthier society and that's what we need to be focusing on. And yep. we need to So we need to educate people not only in how to um, indulge or interpret the messages they're receiving but i think we also need to educate you know media outlets in what is what is and isn't acceptable or, that, or what can be received by people and when you say educate that that's the thing we can do as consumers at all times yeah. is just sort of push back when they do mm-hmm. shitty things and say this like, is I don't pre- like i'm a left you know wing supporter i'm you know I'm liberal, not I'm not a liberal party voter, but I'm liberal and Dif- different I, things. For people who are outside yeah. of Australia, the Liberal Party is actually the it's right the most wing. conservative party. It's so confusing uh, in Australia. It's the conservative of the two major parties. It's yes. not the most yeah, conservative you're right, party. You're right. <laughs> I apologize for that's that's not a correct statement. You're right. Um yeah, so yeah, I think you need to push back against misinformation. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you were saying about like educating things as well because I'm a big believer in teaching critical thinking in mm-hmm. school, um, you know, correct skepticism and analysis and- Rationalism, rationalism will save the world. Even philosophy. Yeah. All these things would be really valuable if we taught them to kids at an earlier age. But mm-hmm. do you remember specifically when it comes to the media? Because I think actually being able, able to teach kids on how to- and we do this this in English a little bit. I remember learning about like emotive writing and stuff like mm. that and how the news will use different words to get a particular perspective across, you know, emotive language and so forth. But specifically how to analyze the media. Do you remember there was a show on the ABC when we were in primary school called, mm. I think it was Behind the News? BTN, yeah. BTN. That show that. was the freaking best. And I, I didn't recognize it at on. the time. I wondered yeah. too. I hope it is. But mm. this is for people who, maybe this exists in other countries as well. I remember watching it at school. There was this interesting like programming slot from about nine till about 12 mm-hmm. where you could, if you were a teacher, you could put on the television on the ABC. This is the yeah. Australian Broadcast And teachers did it all the time. And <laughs> did all the time. Like we did it once a week and we had to study the news articles that they brought up. Well, BTM mm-hmm. would have it on, but actually just generally that slot was full of mm-hmm. educational shows. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, beyond, behind the news, behind the news, beyond the news, behind the news. It was behind. Behind yeah. the news, thank you. Would 
talk about the news of the week, but um, look at how the media was presenting it and sort of look at the, mm. the facts and the things that were, it was yeah. an amazing thing to see in primary school. It was and all I, about critical thinking all about, about critical media thinking. consumption. It was so good. And that's not to say the, the ABC isn't guilty of sometimes mm. uh, peddling of you as well, but as far as the mainstream media goes, reasonably uh, unbiased. Mm-hmm. Reasonably. I, I believe so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see more stuff like that. We're getting way off topic here. <laughs> Uh, you can get not off topic because this is sort of the whole point of the show. Mm. Uh, was there any, do you have any favourite moments, any favourite characters, any favourite jokes from the show that you want to shine a light on? I I mean, it was, it was right at the very beginning, but the simple revelation about like the ball hairs. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being like, what about the ball hairs? The ball hairs are incorrect, which yeah. I really, because that's, it's always like, in true crime shows, it's always about like those little moments that mean so, so much, much yeah. and they really like dive into them and have a really close look at them. Um, so, the, I mean, that's the whole joke of the show is that they take this absurd premise and apply the seriousness of yeah. true crime. And so when it's all about like the ball hairs, what about the ball hairs cliffhanger? Like, that's such a solid joke. It's amazing. And you wonder when that happened, did they just go, this is the funny... I, we are <laughs> geniuses for coming up with this. This is so Even funny. Even when... This is another moment. When Alex Tromboli is giving his testimony to just the camera in the car park. Yeah. And he's like, dick. Yeah. Dick. dick. Yeah. Dick, like it's just so, it funny. so funny. It was so good. That first episode, so that at first episode is so well constructed to draw Spoiler you alert. in. Yeah, it's oh my really? Fave. There you yeah. go. Um, the yeah, no, that that stuff's great. Alex Tremboli in general, I just want to say, is one of my favorite <laughs> characters. I think he is that actor plays so it funny. pitch perfect. Good on him. I do love the graphics when they're trying to figure out the hand if, job? where the hand job took place. <laughs> And then who would have had uh, eyeline to it? Recreation. Yeah. God, it was good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All I remember, like, because I was just like watching it in in bed on my TV, and I was just like, just pure joy, and like, because you, I had recognized this exact situation, and I recognized how fascinated I'd been in the past about watching these recreations all about angles and like could it be possible and I was like oh could it be possible and then I was like watching in the same position watching this like digital recreation of this guy getting a hand job on a pier and it was just beautiful it was such a beautiful moment it made me laugh so much and I was so happy um, something else I wanted to praise the show for actually was the believability of all of the students mm. in terms of like, not just the performances when they're doing their interviews to camera, when they're being sort of interrogated by Peter and Sam, but like when they're at the party and they're getting all the footage right, that's mm. going to be used as evidence sort of later. But like that just felt really authentic, like yeah. way more authentic than most shows can do this stuff. It felt like high school, right? It did. It I, really did. Yeah. The way they're talking, interacting, the way everyone uh, is so good, is mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. pitch perfect. And like I said, if you might be forgiven for thinking it was real if you didn't understand what the show was trying to do. Yeah. But the 
that also I thought was fascinating. We live in a world where there's, and especially, you know, teenagers using their phones so much and like the way Dylan does his pranks in class, they've got all this <laughs> evidence of the way he used to draw dicks on the board with the ball hairs, of course, or, you know, do do his little pranks in there. And mm-hmm. then all the footage they have from the, the Nana party or Nan's party. Mm, Nan's party, yeah. And... Apart from trying to get my head around how they had all the access to this, if they were probably on Snapchat and it got, got deleted after 24 hours. Mm. But just that, like the methodology of how they could reconstruct that scene mm. is actually fucking spot. Like that's legitimately a possibility. What the, the things they did and the way they were like, you, you, you could analyze little details in the background. Oh man, it's so genius. I love that. I love the monitoring of Trimboli's like- Beer. Yes. Yes. Is that the same beer? Oh my god. It's labeled and peeled off. Like it's just fucking great. Like so much detail, so much effort's gone into it to make it legitimate. Yeah. That I really appreciate it. Yeah. I I love the attention to detail because it could have been easy just to phone it in and like have things be convenient or even have them be. It's like you see stuff. Actually, even little things like more often than not, the photography or the like. You know how when they bring in photos of like family members in a um, a television show, they'll be really poorly photoshopped. Yeah, like Ugh. effort went yeah. into making these look legitimate, and mm. even like the footage of Dylan when he was a kid was actually so good because that was actually his stuff. Like yeah. he, like he, that's that is what that's he did what as I an thought. actor. When I watched it, I was like, "That's him." Yes, right? it yeah. is him. Yeah. yeah, and it's so clever they were able to like cast that and use that stuff mm. and. Oh, I cannot get over just how I love the way well back executed boys. it was. I love them. The way back boys. Because <laughs> we go way back. We actually go way, way back. Um, Very I'm, good. Yeah, no, all that stuff was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And just about everything, everything landed mm-hmm. for me. Really, really enjoyed it. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move into final thoughts? I just, yeah, it made me really think a lot more critically about all those people in high school that were like, you know, the the burnouts, the sure. the the jokes, the kids that were seen as obnoxious and a- annoying and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, like if, you know, if they were expelled and stuff, no one would think twice that they didn't do it. Because yeah. no one gives a shit at all. And maybe we go, huh, yeah. True, accurate. No one of those kids get lost. The weird thing I had, because I was watching this again with my girlfriend, Steph, mm. she had a massive, like, crush on Dylan. Huge <laughs> crush on Dylan. I'm like, what is the go here? You would hate someone like him in real life. Mm. I was like, yeah, I know. But to know, there's just something so funny and charming about him. I was like, yeah, it's true. He's a pretty fascinating character. That's, that is very interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. It's like, this is exactly the opposite of the sort of person you would normally like. But what do I know, huh? The opposite of you, yeah. It's exactly totally. the opposite of me, yeah. That is very interesting. The, mm. Exactly the sort. Al, he would be, uh, Dylan would be the person I would hate the most. The ones who are interrupting class mm. and like. I mean, like, I have such an averse reaction to people like that because they were the kind of people that, like, because, like we said earlier, like, super nerds. We were super nerds. And, like, I was considered kind of a class clown, but 
I I allowed myself that because I always did my work early. Mm-hmm. I was in the advanced classes, you know, yeah. I got my I had my shit together. Mm-hmm. But I would if we were learning something fascinating, I would never disrupt the class ever because I wanted to learn. Yeah. And the kids obviously who were struggling like like, like Dylan was who would interrupt, I had no fucking time Mm-mm. for. Let me tell you. I like all like all my female friends, and obviously like, I'm gay, so like coming from a different place. But uh, like all my female friends, are like <laughs> he's so funny. I'm like, no, he's an obnoxious dickhead. Mm-hmm. So fucking rude. Mrs. What's her face is trying to give a <laughs> lecture. Come on, guys, we've got an education to get. Um, but yeah, no, it just gave me a new perspective on you know, there's yeah, kids that kind of a shat on, and that's okay because they're considered worthless because they don't bring anything to the school, which is a bit sad. I will say that I did appreciate those kids when we had a substitute teacher. They were really good. Oh, I had such anxiety about that did situation. You? Yeah, of course I did. Of course, because they nah. didn't know. <laughs> it wasn't their fault. They're just doing their job. <laughs> they didn't know oh. what was coming. What was going Until happen. they said my name wrong and I was like, get them. Damask? No, that's, that's not it. No, actually, no. You know what would happen when I had a substitute teacher with those people like Dylan? The teacher would say, Damask. Damask. And then that asshole like Dylan would be like, <laughs> Damask. And I'd be like, well, there's, nothing, there's no protection against me against that. I guess I am a dumbass. Good job, Dylan. So, Thanks, substitute teacher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, they were both dickheads anyway <laughs> <laughs> i think guess the other thing i want to say is mm. i kind of wish i could say more but it's a weird scenario where the the show is analyzing itself as it yeah, goes along exactly. it's like it's hard to all we do end up doing is reiterating exactly what the show is it saying critiques anyway. itself it's a critique of the genre there's not a lot that we can reiterate about what's already said i guess we can all we can only just say that like it's what it does it does so well. Yeah, that's all I want to say. It's just yeah. it's it's it just praise it for doing mm. it so well because I really yeah. really think it does. Absolutely. Um, and with that, let's move on to final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes, Damask? I don't. I've got just a couple of little bits of trivia for you. Mm. Uh, Tyler Alvarez, who plays Peter. Uh, we may recognise him as being Gloria's son, Benny, in Orange is the New Black. Did you uh, have a connection? that's it. I, I knew I knew him from somewhere. Okay, that's mm-hmm. good. Sorry. And Callum Worthy, who plays Alex Tremboli, mm-hmm. uh, is the lead in the upcoming Eminem-produced and highly acclaimed rap battle movie, Bodied. Have you seen trailers for this? <laughs> um, that has a theatrical release what? in November. Yeah, you should check out a trailer for it. Uh, it's coming out very soon. I'm Apparently sorry. Was Tremboli gr- is yes. in Eminem's no, no, rap not just, battle. Not just is in, is the lead character in this rap battle movie called Bodied. Uh, you need to check out the trailer because I think you'll like it quite a lot and I'm okay. really keen to see it. It was right. at Miff and I missed it and it's been... It, it was at Miff. It was at Miff. Melbourne it, International Film Festival for th- those at home. It premiered mm-hmm. at a film festival end of 2017. Uh, people have been looking forward to seeing this for I ages. I am so confused out. by what you're bringing to me, that was but what, okay. There was... I Because we... I'd watched, uh, I watched American Vandal mm-hmm. and then the body trailer was just went up the other day and I was like, oh, I'll watch this. And there was Alex Tramboli. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> this makes no sense to me, but I'm Amazing. keen to see it. Okay, I'll watch the trailer. Excellent. Uh, least favourite 
And favourite episode, Damask. My least favourite is episode eight, which is the cleanup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not bad. I don't think any of the episodes are bad by any stretch of the imagination. But there are things, um, two in particular, and I think we've discussed them already. Um, one, the scene between Sam and Gabby mm-hmm. had me rolling my eyes pretty hard. Um, just the fact that it was captured, didn't think it was, you know, it needed to be there. I didn't need that resolution. Sure. Um, two was also the reveal that Krista doesn't know CPR. Um, it felt heavy handed. It felt very convenient. Um, so yeah, that felt untrue to the genre that I, that they had been so pitch perfectly parodying. So that's my least favorite. What about you? I don't have one. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't normally do this. I normally Someone didn't do their job. No. That's fine. I bro. tried. No, you didn't I try think, hard enough. I think you make fail. He <laughs> failed everyone. Can everyone tweet broad just the word fail all week? That'd be great. Thank you. I uh I think you make a very good case for why episode eight would be mm. your favorite, but up until recording this podcast with you, I was gonna give episode eight as my favorite episode. I've changed that. Ooh. But uh, the reason I was going to give it my favorite episode is because I think it does such a good job of putting the focus. Um, it brings into focus the bigger questions and the themes of the show. It sort of wraps things up emotionally, um, and you realize you've been stealthily put on this journey the whole time that is bigger than what's going on with the juvenile humor and the docu parody on the on the top. And that's I'm sorry, you- are you giving your favorite episode as least favorite? No, I'm not saying it's least favorite. I am <laughs> trying to doing? defend it because it's your uh, least favorite episode. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to change my favorite episode, but you should give me your favorite episode first. <laughs> my favorite episode is episode one. Yeah, it's mine too. Um, <laughs> I mean, like what a tone setter. Well, yeah. Like what a perfect introduction to the silliness and the seriousness of the show. We have the ball hair revelation, which I love. Mm-hmm. And obviously the beginnings of Alex Tramboli's testimony, which is amazing. I think like it's what a perfect episode of television. Like it's just it's a incredible true crime parody episode. I wonder with this show, mm. just thinking about how great that first episode is, how well scripted this was. Mm. Was it all planned out specifically to to, and structured the, this way from the beginning or was it something where they had a pretty good outline, a strong outline, and then like a real documentary mm. was found in the edit? Like did they mm. specifically move things into the pilot that weren't meant to be there to begin with because they knew that it would work better in the pilot? Like they found out later in the edit that it would work better. Yeah. Did they find things along the way as they were filming it they didn't intend to that then found its way into the show as well? I... Be really interested to know how. I they think you have to this. buy the Blu-ray to get those I details. I might actually see if I can find uh, if there's like if there is a special um, features. Yeah, special features. Do you think Netflix will ever bring out like a special would, feature well, aspect? Kind of do. do Some I? shows have their little like discussion, almost podcasty shows. Oh yeah, like Stranger Things and. But that's not. I don't want Discovery like a that. podcast talk. I want like classic DVD special yeah. features. I used to love a special special feature. They kind oh. of they've kind of gone out of fashion. Is I the problem? I love them. I love them. When was them. the last time you listened They're to like one? They're like mini docos. I mean, I don't have anything to play my DVDs on anymore, so it's been a long time. <laughs> but I would happily like sit for a whole day and watch just like Lord of the Rings special features. Oh, me too. Gladly, I find that stuff so fascinating, and I you know I would watch you know 
audio commentaries all yeah. the fucking time. I loved them. What I would love, mm. putting this out there right now, I would love if they would still make um, audio commentaries for movies and stuff, mm. but also release them as podcasts, right? So Ooh, Because I would listen to okay. the fuck out of them on my drive and like if that, all I have to do is just sort of play a little bit, like so play the audio of the movie yeah, in the background. Yeah. And if I know it well enough, I'm going to understand where they're at and mm. what they're talking about. But the... Um, the well, there was something that Kevin Smith did at one point, I think, where he did an audio commentary for Clerks Two or something, mm. or maybe it was Red State. I can't remember which one it was, and then released it as a podcast, and then you could go to the movies and watch it with them in your headphones, mm. so you could see the movie once. That sounded like something you probably did for Red State. It might have been for Red yeah. State, but like go and basically have a live audio commentary while the mm. movie was still in cinemas. I would love that. I'd love because I could just have the option to listen to that as a podcast. I wouldn't have to go to the movie to see it. And I just think in this day and age, I don't know, maybe it, this is more reflective of me. I don't have time necessarily mm. to sit down and listen to commentaries or watch a movie more than once mm. anymore. I love Kevin Smith as a person. Here we go. <laughs> I tried to watch Clerks. Oh, you didn't like Clerks? I didn't like Clerks. It's, it's, I mean, it's dated now. I watched Clerks too. Fucking hated it. Ooh. But I like him as a person. Like I've I've listened to his audiobook many times. It's fucking great. I really recommend it. It's Oh, he tells really, really a, he good. tells a great story. He like does. He tells, like he's a great storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Um, but oh, no, Clerks didn't do it for me. Sorry. When did you try to watch Clerks? When I was nineteen. Oh, okay, for a while back. Okay. Mm. Fair enough. Uh yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's fair enough. Mm. You don't have to love that. Uh, do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns for season two of American Vandal? Oh, God, I hope it's good. <laughs> oh, I'm really worried about it, but I hope it's good. What about you? My biggest one is just can you pull the same trick off like twice? Like fatigue, yeah. Fatigue, but like when you hit it out of the park the first yeah. time. Yeah, it's hard. Can you follow it up and still have more to say? Mm. Can you... I hope they try a different style of true crime. Like what? What would you like it to be instead? Like a 13th is, it's not a traditional true crime. Mm. It's not like just following one narrative. It's about, I guess, the institutions in place, which is a bit more interesting. I don't know, like there's, there's certainly like a different, areas of true crime that you can certainly explore. Mm-hmm. So maybe they do that. They might bring a fresh perspective, a fresh, pe- fuck. A fresh perspective? A fresh perspective to it, yes. Uh, you're out of luck. <laughs> oh, no. As far as you can tell, I've only watched the first two or three episodes mm. of it so far, but it, it's, it has a case similar to right. the first season. It's, I mean, it's a completely different case, but it's a case. Um, and what I've seen of it, I've liked it so far, but it's, mm. uh, the question remains in my head, can it pull this trick off twice? When you just when it's worked so well, when the characters have been so good, when even Dylan was such a fantastic charismatic so character, you just it's, it's lightning in a bottle, and it's hard to recapture. But we will see. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work come from Sean, Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Draws. You should follow him on Twitter and on Instagram. He does amazing illustrations and comics. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. 
You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymu, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Have you been posting about anything specifically? You did that great uh, Riverdale post. Yeah, just about how Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, is a fucking cunt. Uh, yes, that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't stop watching the Doctor Who opening titles. You can find a link to those uh, on Twitter with me as well. And my uh, sort of a review of um, Bad Times of the El Royale. Though I did seriously... I don't know. I don't care if you're not a Doctor Who fan or not. Go and watch the new opening titles. They are, and I am. I will always be comparing one Doctor and one theme song and whatever mm. to another. And like, I have my favorites. The new opening titles are the best opening titles the show has ever had. They mm. are fucking amazing, and I've watched it dozens of times, mm-hmm. and will continue to watch it. So good. also, um, just for everyone out there, vote. Vote. I'm, yeah. I'm just please vote. No matter where you are, voting is so important. Uh, if you're in Australia, please vote Greens or Labor. Let's try to get Nauru closed, please. It's fucking enough. Let's just end it now. We've got a state election about to come up in Victoria. Yep. Let's let's vote, let's make it green, folks, because it's we can't have these human rights violations going on any further. And remember, we are not an apolitical podcast. We are definitely going to talk politics. Yeah, so get used to that. So. Anyway, <laughs> next episode we'll be back to discuss American Vandal season two. So look forward to that. Uh, go catch up on that one now on Netflix. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.